W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect perfectly, perfectly healthy, healthy and tone, tone radio, radio, radio with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, because I help you become perfectly healthy and toned and conscious, of course. You're listening to episode number 166 entitled A Mother's Love with Sheila Lewis Ely. As always, I'm going to remind you to go back to episode 165 to listen to Amy Raup's podcast, which was called Body Beliefs healing autoimmune issues. If you're someone out there who has an autoimmune issue, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the episode. We talked a lot on an episode about changing your mind, changing your story and how far that goes and how much success Amy has had working in her clinics with women who have these types of autoimmune issues with just getting them to reframe things, look at things from a different perspective, and before they know it, their autoimmune issues are gone. If you are a man who out there has autoimmune issues, I would also encourage you to go back and listen to that episode too, because everybody can do something when it comes to changing your mind. And when you change your mind, your world looks totally different. I am a true testament to that. Now with today's episode 166 of Mother's Love, we're talking about vaccinations. There has been so much controversy around vaccinations. I believe I interviewed a woman by the name of Barbara Lowe Fisher, and we mentioned her on this podcast as well, maybe two to three years ago. And there's still a lot of controversy controversy around these vaccinations. But I wanted to get Sheila on to talk about her firsthand experience with what happened with her son, how she's been trying to get her son back up on his feet. And we talked a little bit about confirmed consent and how the vaccination court actually supports medical hypocrisy. There's a lot on this podcast and I'm not one to put things towards people and tell them how to think. My job is to be just a facilitator of information to get you to think. And once you think and you are able to have the right materials in front of you, the right things in front of you, the right research in front of you, then you can make your own decision. And that's what my whole thing is about, about raising the consciousness of illness, raising the consciousness of wellness and getting people to make informed decisions before they ever make a decision. Because a lot of times we're making our decisions out of fear. We're making our decisions out of anger. We're not coming from a conscious level to look at the pros and the cons and weigh them and then make that decision. So keep an open mind during this podcast. I don't care if you are pro vaccinations or you are against vaccinations. The information is out there and it's up to you to make your own decision. So let's get into Sheila's bio. Sheila Lewis Ely is a mother of four and lives with her husband, Ron, in New Orleans. Her son, Temple, was taken to the doctor to be vaccinated along with his twin sister, Lucinda. He was given a double dose of the MMR vaccine along with the DTaP and HIV vaccines. The effect was immediate. By the next morning, he was not responsive. Within the next six months, 
Temple was diagnosed with severe autism disorder and later in 2008 with mitochondria myopathy 1. Her son's case was one of the 5,000 injury claims dismissed by the federal government. Since that time, Sheila has been an advocate for informed consent and truth in the vaccination program. Currently, Sheila is finishing a master's in education. Previously, she was a co-founder, director, and curriculum developer for the Creative Learning Center of Louisiana, a school for students with autism. Coming up on episode number 166, A Mother's Love with Sheila Lewis Ely. Here's what you're going to learn. What is the importance of partnering with your doctor? Why is the hepatitis B vaccine being used in children? Sheila gives a really good breakdown of why this vaccine is being used and why there's really no need for it. How does the vaccination court support medical hypocrisy? I was not aware of what the vaccination court was, got really informed by Sheila Lewis Ely, and we also talk about informed consent. What is the link between sudden infant death syndrome and vaccinations. Definite link here. Pay close attention. When was the measles vaccine created? A lot of times we know about the infection. We don't know about when the vaccine was created. And we talk about immunotherapy on this podcast. Immunotherapy is being used, particularly the measles vaccine is being used to help patients fight cancer. What is G6PD? And why is it important for African-Americans? This was something I wasn't aware of. And then after speaking with Sheila, I immediately did the 23andMe test to find out if I was G6PD deficient. And it's something that you may want to do as well because it affects your health. So without further ado, let's get into episode number 166, A Mother's Love with Sheila Lewis Ely. Sheila Ely, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you this evening? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Darren. Thanks for being on. Actually, you were recommended by someone to, to have you on. And I started to research your background and, and, and thought that, yeah, I need to have this woman on. But, uh, one of, one of my questions that I normally ask everyone is to talk about their health journey. How did they get started? And you have a rather unique story. And I wanted you to share that story with the audience tonight. Well, I started on this journey because I have I have four children, but my last two children are twins, boy-girl twins. And my son ended up severely impaired and damaged from vaccines. Now, what makes it unique is the day that I took the twins in to have their well baby checkup, along with a daughter that I have that's only 14 months older than the twins, so they're like triplets. We were living on a Navy base, my husband and myself in Maryland. And I took him in for the well baby checkup, 12 months old. It was actually my birthday. And my son ended up getting a double dose of the MMR along with the DTaP and the hip vaccine. I lost him the very next day. My son slipped off and he has never been the same. Now he hadn't developed language yet. He was mimicking and he had skills. I noticed when he got his five month vaccines that something was wrong. So I asked the doctor that I took him to, what is it? He, and they would all say, well, he's baby B and he's a boy. He's a little slow. I said, well, instinctively, I don't feel that that's true. So I postponed all the other vaccines. But back then the information wasn't out there. We were told that vaccines were safe and effective. I didn't know anything about Dr. Andy Wakefield. All of this information I learned later. My son is now 19 years old and developmentally he's between six and eight years of age. The fact that he speaks is amazing, but a lot of biomedical 
work has gone into him. On that day, when they were 12 months old, once that nurse made that error, I didn't get his twin sister vaccinated. We walked out, so she, she never got her vaccines. She's off on scholarship in college, doing quite well. When I started going down that rabbit hole, I realized, wait a minute, it's not my imagination that those vaccines damaged my son, especially the MMR. But there was no proof because you go to, back then, was going to doctor after doctor after doctor, no information, no information. It's not the vaccines. You know, you're just a mother who's too high strung. This had to happen to him in utero. I said, no, the diagnosis that he got, severe autism disorder, my son was fine. I had never seen an autistic child ever. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never even heard of the word until the movie Rain Man came out. So this is what started my journey, looking for answers for my son and the truth of what had happened. So let me ask you this, Sheila. How did you feel as a mother? Because I know that for a lot of us that are listening to the podcast, we tend to put our trust in, in doctors and we don't go beyond that scope of really, like you say, going down that rabbit hole. But when you had that intuitiveness, how did you feel? Do you trust doctors now or do you are you one of those people that will inadvertently just dig further and further? No. After that happened to my son, I have never trust trusted another doctor. Um, I decided at that point, at that moment, that those doctors are told how to prescribe a medication and it no longer became about healing because I'd gone to so many doctors, so many doctors looking for answers for my son. So unless a doctor is willing to partner with me in my health and the health of my children, we will not have a relationship. Hmm. I've heard that before. Was he given too much, too many vaccines at one time, or was it just that his system wasn't able to handle the vaccines that were given to him? Initially, that's what I thought. I thought the double dose of the MMR was what really pushed him over the cliff. But later on, what I discovered is no, it's all of the vaccines. It starts with the vitamin K at birth and the hepatitis B vaccine that they decided to give children at birth because they couldn't give it to the intravenous drug users and the other people that they wanted to give it to. So it was put on that schedule for babies at birth. What, is a baby going to have sex at five months of age? Why would they need hepatitis B? And without proper consent, because in the hospital, when they came to me and told me about the hepatitis B, I said, oh, no, my, my children don't need that. And Because my children were in the nursery, they mistakenly gave him the hepatitis B. He immediately broke out with atopic dermatitis, but I still didn't connect the dots. And the vitamin K is full of aluminum. No child needs the vitamin K. It's uh, uh, it's actually, they call it vitamin, they call it just the vitamin K, but it's administered to these babies. It is so loaded with aluminum. And we wonder why some babies die at birth because what people don't realize after I started researching this, African-Americans have the highest infant mortality rate in this country. We actually also have the highest maternal mortality rate in this country, and yet we only make up 33% of the population. Why is that? 
when you look at what they do and they say, well, we don't know. We don't know where SIDS comes from. SIDS was never around before vaccines, and that's well documented. There's a book by Harriet Washington, a black author and a researcher called Medical Apartheid. When you read that book, you realize that blacks have been experimented on since they stepped off of those slave ships medically. Matter of fact, the guy that we credit as the father of gynecology, he experimented on slaves, on women without anesthesia. He did all of these gynecological operations. It was torture for these women. And they were only held down first by his staff. And then when they refused to do it anymore, he forced slaves to hold their own women down so that he could perform these horrendous operations. Now, once civil rights came about, we thought we had arrived. We thought that, you know, the Tuskegee experiment was behind us, and it wasn't. What people don't realize is that the Tuskegee experiment didn't end until the 80s. And all during that time, they were still experimenting with radiation on blacks. They were experimenting with these vaccines on blacks. Matter of fact, the measles vaccine, they did an experiment on black infants and Hispanic infants right in Los Angeles in the 90s, up until 94. But they didn't have to reveal that information to see how much of the measles part of the vaccine they could take. Now, they had they already knew what would happen because they had already done that experiment in Africa where they killed so many African babies with that very same experiment. Who? World Health Organization had done that. And I'm bombarded with all of this information. So then I found out about Dr. Andy Wakefield, who said in 98, and my son was born in 99, and I wasn't privy to watching a lot of TV because I'd already had a small child and I had these twins. So I didn't have time for all of that. Who had said that and spoke before Congress that take the measles part out of the vaccine separate the vaccines and let's see what happens because the combination of the vaccines is what's causing autism in these children, gut permeability. I mean, it was out there, but because we didn't have the internet like we have now, we really, those of us, I call us the pioneers because those of us with children, I would say from uh, 25 to about 17 or 16, no information back then. So let me, let me ask you this. There's so much conflicting information out there. I had Barbara Lowe Fisher on a while ago. This was, man, maybe like two years ago. I'm sure you're familiar with her. She and I are good friends. Yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with her. And at that point in time, there was a lot of conflicting information out there. And I think when I interviewed her, there was this outbreak of measles. It was somewhere. And then I think we just had an outbreak of measles uh, not too long ago. And I remember seeing on my Facebook page where someone was saying, oh, to you non-vaxxers or something like that. But has there been a link, like a, a concrete link saying that these vaccinations cause autism? Oh, we have. Listen, there are over 250 documents that have been published, research documents, 
that will not be acknowledged, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute, that state that, matter of fact, vaccines cause autism. Now, here is the misdemeanor. Whenever, so you have to think for yourself now, if the medical industry can come and say to you, vaccines don't cause autism, they must know what does. And yet they tell you, we don't know what caused it, but we know vaccines don't. How can you make that statement if you don't know what causes autism? How can you blanketly say vaccines don't cause autism when vaccines are loaded with retroviruses grown off the backs of mice, monkeys, dogs, cows? You have serum from these animals. And even as a Christian, when you look at the components in vaccines, you realize that's something that never should go in a human body, least all a developing child. They have vilified childhood infections because that's what they are. Now, I grew up in the early 70s and we had all our childhood infections. I had measles, mumps. I had rubella, which is no more than German measles. Mm -hmm. I had the chicken pox. I have had it all. And I was only a seven month gestation and I've had it all. It was nothing for my mother and the mothers in our community to say during the summer, Jimmy has chicken pox. Go down there and play with Jimmy. You need to catch the chicken pox because I've got to go back to work when you go back to school. And we need to get that over with. They thought nothing <laughs> of it. And yet we vilified these infections. They're not daily diseases. Matter of fact, when the measles vaccine was created in 1963, there was only one death per every 500,000 children in this country. That was in 1963 when they developed the vaccine. Nobody was dying from measles. You watch an old episode of uh, the Brady Bunch, the Flintstones, mm -hmm. any one of those TV shows that was on, and you, you would see how the mother treated measles. Oh, good. You got the measles. Okay, go get some rest. Bring your popsicles upstairs. Vitamin A. That's what cures measles. God did not make mistakes, and he certainly does not need man to intervene in the fearfully and wonderful body that he's created. How do we get around this? Because now I'm seeing where even with nurses, they're forcing nurses to take flu vaccines. And I'm seeing now where uh, there was once upon a time where you could do some kind of religious type thing and, and, and not have your child vaccinated and be able to send them to school. But now it seems as though that everywhere you look, they're trying to shut this stuff down and make people take these vaccines. So how well, do we get around it? I have to explain to you before I tell you how you get around it. Let me explain to you why that's the case. And this is the information that's been left out. Vaccines are indemnified. Ronald Reagan in 1986, because so many children had died from the DTaP back then, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine back then. Now it's the DTaP uh, because it's attenuated, so they call it DTaP. So many children were crippled and had died, and you didn't hear about it until vac the vaccine makers could not get insurance to cover the vaccines anymore. So they went to Congress and said, we're out. We can't get these covered anymore. And Barbara Lowe Fisher was a part of this because she had a son who was damaged from the DTP. What they decided to do was take away liability so they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to pay those millions of dollars out. Now, this is in a democratic republic, a country that prides itself 
on a court system where you have due process. There is no due process for vaccines. Your child is damaged. You're on your own because they are not liable. They have what they call the vaccine court. You can apply through VAERS, which is the vaccine court, to that your child was damaged by a vaccine. You've got to get a doctor to testify on that behalf. And what happens is they send in a special counsel where they decide accordingly if your child died or if your child was truly vaccine injured. And they will pay you out of taxpayer dollars. So in essence, we pay to damage our child because we pay the copay for, we pay for the insurance, then we pay the copay when we go in um, to have the vaccine. And then if your child is damaged, then the taxpayers pay that. And let me tell you, that is the hardest money ever to get child. So you really don't, you might have legal recourse or you, you really don't have a legal no, recourse. No, you do not have legal recourse at all. So you, you have none. For your, for your son, you weren't able to get any type of There is a son. I, I, had, I, I, I had applied to VAERS and also had, I went through a loophole to sue Merck. And if you look at my Facebook page, you will see me holding a sign where the Supreme Court in 2011 said vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Well, I'm not just holding that sign. My son was one of those 5,000 cases. They call it the ombudsman case lawsuit. One of the 5,000 children who were going, who was going through the loophole to sue Merck and the courts, the Supreme Court said no. They will not be sued because vaccines, now this is the Supreme Court saying this, vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. So in essence, this is why they want to make a cancer vaccine. They want to make vaccines. They want to change everything into a vaccine. Because when you listen to those commercials, they are still liable for drugs like via. And that's why they have to give you informed consent and tell you, the side effects of these drugs and what it may do. There is no informed consent for vaccines. And that is a biologic, invasive biological procedure where because of the Nuremberg Code and the Helsinki ratification in 1964, we are supposed to have informed consent, but we don't have it. So they make billions off of vaccines and they pay off the legislators. What about, I'm just thinking out loud here about just other countries. Are other countries still utilizing vaccinations or is it just the U.S. that's still hung up in these vaccinations and knowing you know, what they're doing? Well, these poison, a lot of these vaccines come out of China. Other countries are using it too because what's happening is they're trying to go to a one world order. But in France, they've thrown out quite a few vaccines. In the Netherlands, they've thrown out quite a few. Um, in Japan, they've thrown out a few. You know, where you have these countries that pay for health care for their people, unlike America, where things capitalism, they've thrown out quite a few. And if you go to Europe, you have the right to refuse vaccines. Now, we do, too. And that's what we fight for. 
There are coalitions of us around this country, state by state, state fighting to maintain our right to religious, philosophical, and personal exemptions. And I want to say this, if you don't have the right to say what goes into your body, you have no sovereignty of your body or your child's body, and that makes you no less still a slave. Is the school, because I know this is a big thing for the schools, but is the school part of the issue? If people were to homeschool their kids and not send them out to public school, would that cut down on, on all of this? Well, first of all, this needs to be stated, and this is what people don't know. Women who are on public assistance, they're bullied to vaccinate, and they have a right not to. They can exercise their exemptions. Only in the state of California, Mississippi, and West Virginia do you not have the right to uh, uh, exemptions, which is illegal but they've gotten away with it. Mississippi is one of the most horrendous places to raise a child. And what people don't realize when you say public school, it's not free and it's certainly not appropriate. We pay tax dollars. We are partners in that school. So in every other state, you have the right to exercise your religious, philosophical and our medical exemptions. Every state has a medical exemption. I'm, I'm surprised that California, as, as liberal as California is, I'm very surprised that they're, uh, they're are they fighting this now? To that just ha- that just happened last year. Uh, okay. You had a senator come in and they, you know, everything was rigged. You only have the right to medical exemption and he's trying to take that away. You know what, what, What's happening in California, they're trying to set precedent around the country. Every state is fighting tooth and nail. No child has died of a measles outbreak. And what they're not reporting is that 94% of the measles outbreaks that occur, they are occurring amongst the vaccinated population because the vaccine shed and they don't work. The, the key here is to educate before you vaccinate because the highest percentage of autism, learning disabilities, death, and cancers are among black children who cannot detox and process those neurotoxins, which include mercury, formaldehyde, polysorbate 80, which is a detergent and aluminum, along with the aborted fetal cell lines that are in vaccines, the pig, cow, and monkey serum, and blood, and that of mice. All of that is thrown. It, it, It is a Frankenstein medicine that they're mandating because they're paying off legislators to damage your child, and it is not necessary. What is it about African-Americans that we don't process this stuff? So, Rick, I know that there's going to be other ethnicities out there, but what is it about African-Americans that it affects us in, in such a different way? Well, there, there are several theories, but one of the biggest ones out here that no one is looking at, we have 
a deficiency to an enzyme called G6PD. That's glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. And what it is, it's a gene. And if you have deficiencies on that gene, which God made by design, back in Africa, 90% of African Americans, um, those of Mediterranean um, heritage, those of Middle Eastern heritage, and those of Asian heritage, like um, Indians and other populations, have this deficiency. Now, that's by design by God, because what that deficiency did in that very hot climate, it keeps you from developing malaria if you get bit by a mosquito, a malarian mosquito. So I have that deficiency. I can go to Africa. I don't need to take anti-malaria drugs. I can get bit by a million uh, mosquitoes, and the only thing I may get is something that resembles a common cold. However, if there's a deficiency or deficiencies on the SNP panel, panels of that gene, for me, I can't process carbohydrates, and I can't detox properly. And so for a mother like me, my son was doomed because the minute he got that vitamin K with aluminum in it, bam, even though he looked fine and perfectly healthy, he broke out in atopic dermatitis. And it went in there and impaired his brain to the point he probably would have had learning disabilities if I had stopped there. However, when you keep vaccinating in an impaired immune system, you create this hyperimmunity. You also create in a lot of black type 2 diabetes, all kind of autoimmune diseases. And we wonder why we're so sick and obesity, because here we are with all these neurotoxins in here that you cannot, and what they create are retroviruses that can be passed down from generation to generation. Dr. Judy Mikovich is a very good person to not only interview, but to listen to her talks about retroviruses that are in vaccines and why we can't detox them out. And that's what makes them dangerous for us. So saying all that, I want to step a little bit ahead. Before you, before you do Thompson, before you do that, I wanted to ask you a question because I just want to clarify for the audience. When you say vitamin K, that's actually vaccination, correct? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said when you say vitamin K, that's one of the vaccinations. That's what you meant? That's what they give babies at birth okay. because they say they have a clotting problem. That's not true. Babies don't need vitamin K. Okay. And then the, I forget what you say. I know I heard dermatitis, dermatitis and that's skin. Atopic that, dermatitis. That's yes. A, that's a skin condition. Okay. Yeah. I just want to clarify that for the audience because I know they probably might be listening. Like, hey, what is, what did you say? But go ahead and, and, and go into what you were saying. So in 2014, there was a Dr. William Thompson. He's still working at the CDC because he has whistleblowers, blower protection status. He came out and said, we ran a faulty study. That's what vaxxed. The movie Vax is about it. And I, I implore everyone who's listening to me, stream Vaxed free on Amazon. Watch it because it is the truth. It's something they can't deny. So in Atlanta, the CDC decided they would do this study because so many people after Andy Wakefield came out and said about what the MMR was doing, they ran a secret study. And what they found with that study, they tried to, I mean, they went into schools. What they found with that study that three, if, if African-American boys 
And this is all of them were given the MMR before 36 months of age. They had a 340% chance causation rate of autism. Now, I didn't know you could go beyond 100% chance. 346% for those boys in that study. So what did they do? Gerberdine, who was the head of the CDC at the time, she decided to require birth certificates. Now, all of those kids came from public schools, so they had to have birth certificates to get in that school, and they schooled the study. They took that part out, and they lied. And William Thompson is the one that brought it to the light. But he has never been subpoenaed, and he never will, because vaccine makers are indemnified. They have no liability for the product they make, so they don't test those products. And yet, you take your child in, you inject your child, thinking you're protecting your child from a deadly disease, which is no more than a minor childhood infection, and yet you're damaging your child's brain and body. Is that part of a plan? Because you mentioned that, you know, women who are on public assistance, they're kind of bullied into doing this, doing the vaccination. But is that part of the plan? Because when people are in a position where they can't fight back, they don't have the money to fight back, then there are more likely to kind of lay down, which supports, you know, the pharmaceutical industry to kind of do what they want to do. But is it, it's all by design. But I'm going to tell you this. This is what I do. I'm out here advocating. I'm an activist every day out here. I call it in the trenches. And you are never helpless. Only slaves were helpless. You could, you have to make a choice and you have to decide what's more important. You have the right, unless you're living, as I said, in Mississippi, California, or Virginia. If you have a child and you decide that you want to educate this child. If you don't have the money for a private school, you can't get a medical exemption in these states. Then you got to homeschool. You got to sacrifice something. You got to stay home. You have to homeschool. You have to get with a coalition of homeschoolers. And that's what you do. I go out here. Uh, I'm sick now, but I was going out here nearly every day passing out cards in the community where I live in and beyond and telling these young women, get together. Ask your aunt to keep your baby so you can go work. Ask your mother, anyone who's home, who's elderly, don't put them in daycare if they're telling you you have to present a child with uh, an immunization record. In the state of Texas, you don't. That is a lie, and don't be bullied into it. In the state of Louisiana, you don't. That is a lie, and you don't have to be bullied into it. But if you're living in California... Mississippi or West Virginia, find your village. Find your village because I guarantee you, once this damage occurs to your child, you won't be working. There's nothing that you can do. Autism is an expensive disability and there's no help out there for you. My son is 19 years old and all the state thinks he's worth is $721 a month. And I have to make that child my, I have to take away his right as an American citizen and obtain complete guardianship over my own son at my own expense to protect him medically, financially, and what have you out here in this world. So I can tell you the risks of playing Russian roulette with that shot in the dark 
isn't worth it. How's your son doing now? Is he, and you mentioned that he was 19 and you mentioned that he's speaking, but is he able to function normally? Well, obviously not normally, but able to function better than he was at, at some point. Yeah. I spent the bank on him and I didn't care. I cashed out all of my retirement. I have, my husband and I have worked hard. We're educated people. We came from nothing and we worked our way up and he and I would have a heck of a lot, but the money went into my son and I don't regret one dime I've ever spent because I needed to know, you know, if I could go back, I would do things differently because we know more now. However, I still have hope. And every year that goes by, I maintain hope that he will get better. But don't allow anyone to deceive you out here and tell you that autism is curable. It's treatable. And there are some children that will do well depending on how hard they were hit by those vaccines. And they will be able to go on to college. You know, we, they will be able, they have Asperger's in that category too, which is under the autism umbrella. But these children are neurologically impaired. Their gut is damaged. Their brain is damaged. My son has primary mitochondrial disease from these vaccines. Now, we all know our mitochondrial cells are the very cells that give life and energy to the body. And they're damaged. However, so much biomedical work has gone into this child. He's one of the fortunate ones who doesn't have a colostomy bag on his side and whose heart is still ticking properly. But he has a 24-7 job. Instead of being off in college, because I always thought I would have a Morehouse man, my son is here still watching Blue's Clues and SpongeBob. If you hadn't known this information before, because I know sometimes people even they have the information and you were bullied. They said, hey, you got to do this to go to school and you didn't have any other options. Would you have elected to not have your son vaccinated? If you knew yes. Yes, I would have. I, wa- I, I had to walk away from a career to educate my own son. I I created a school for children like him because he was so severe. And I ran that school for 10 years at my own expense, along with fundraising. It was a nonprofit. So that's what I did as a mother. My son is the future. My children are the future. And to me, my children are worth more than any career or job out here. And I'm, I'm telling you this because I've watched so much. I watched a mother lose her son because he needed a liver and they would bring him in and out of the hospital and refuse to give him a liver because they didn't think his black life was worthy because he had autism. He died. He died three years ago through medical negligence. And these are the things I've seen over and over and over within our community. We have to rise up. We have to go to our church leaders and say, look, This is what's happening. Open that church annex so that we can come together and start our own homeschool group. And listen, there are many of them around the country now, black homeschoolers, African-American homeschoolers with special needs kids. They get together and they do these things. There are ways for you to do things. There are ways for you to live sustainably. Do you need 10 pair of shoes? 
You have to think about what's more important. And it is your child's future. If someone, my grandmother told me, and I didn't listen because I came up during the height of the civil rights movement. And for my parents living in third world America, coming from a sharecropper's farm, they thought we had arrived and they wanted us to have a piece of the American dream. And they said, you will go to college. You will do these things. You're going to get there. We're poor, the working poor. But this is what they wanted for us. And we wanted to make them proud. So once we assimilated and integrated into the so-called American dream, we forgot who we were. There was no one around to tell us the truth and tell us our history anymore. And it is easy to forget. That is why other cultures, especially the Jewish culture, they will never let you forget the Holocaust. But we have allowed other people to tell our history, our story. So we don't know the truth. We don't know what happened from the moment we stepped off, our ancestors stepped off those ships up into present day. And that's what I go around and talk about. Do you think just do you think because of the economic disparity in this country, that's why, you know, certain groups are going through certain things because they don't really have that dollar to kind of to kind of fight back? Well, I'm going to say this. I I have a unique experience for for many my age, but I grew up in the South, and my great grandfather, my great grandparents were slaves, so I'm not that far removed from slavery. I have great grandparents who were slaves, born into slavery, one fought with the Union, my father's grandfather, so I'm not that far removed. And I'm going to say this, those people had nothing. My maternal grandparents did not even have running water in a house or a bathroom in a house to the mid seventies. And they did not have public assistance. They didn't live off of it. We have forgotten who we are, a skilled people. We're so busy pushing children off to college that we have, for, they ripped us of our trade schools. When my mother was coming up, you went to high school, you took a trade. Even when I went to high school, we still had home economics. My mother told me one thing. She said, you are going to go to college, but you take typing and shorthand and you'll always have a job. It was offered to me in high school. They took that away from our schools when we integrated. The black schools had this. This is what we had. Mm-hmm. We had a wood shop. And we <laughs> learned, I learned how to sew. You learned how to do something other than stand with an application in your hand, hoping to get a job from the man. We have taken so much of our economic power and giving it over to them. And this is the problem. I grew up my entire life. I did not eat my first fast food meal until I was 14 and Burger King moved in my community. That's the first hamburger I ever had. We had a garden in our backyard and you don't need a big plot of land to grow some of your own food. Mm -hmm. We have to start supporting our local farmers. There are ways for you to eat without breaking the bank. Do we need to eat so much? 
No, we do not. So we have to go back to sustainable living. I have a very good friend who's in the doctoral program that I'm in. She lives in Pennsylvania. And the one thing that I really admire about the church that she attends, this man is so well connected, the pastor of this church, until he goes to Whole Foods and all these co-ops where they're going to get rid of food that's, you know, maybe a day beyond expiration or close to being expired. And he has partnered with them and he brings in organic foods for his parishioners. And he says after church, go over to the annex building and grocery shop. And there is actually enough food for three services of congregants to go over there and have food for a family for a week. So there are ways that we have to do it, but we have to come back to being a community. Well, going back to to older times, the church was always the place where you would go to find out what was going on in your community. And I think I I had this discussion with Ron Garrett, uh, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about keto. And my question to him was, did he think the church was doing enough? And for me personally, I don't think churches are doing enough to educate people with regards, especially within the African-American community, because we are a deeply religious people. And I remember going to church with my grandmother and sitting in church all day. <laughs> and I know there's some people out there that, that are doing that now. But I feel as though the church is not doing enough to educate people as to what's going on. It's great to talk about these things, but it's also great to talk about uh, health. You know, what's going on inside our community? How can we do better health? How can we eat better and do all these other things? And for me personally, and I don't know if you agree with that, I just don't think that the church is not is doing enough to educate African-Americans. Well, I come from a long line of pastors, Baptists and Pentecostal pastors. And I can tell you one thing, they are not. The church has been hijacked by the 501c3. The minute the church allowed the uh, IRS, the federal government, to come into the church, it was the worst thing that could have happened to our churches. So they've got gag orders on their mouths. You will hardly get a pastor to stand up there and talk about what the Bible actually says when it comes to your body, what should go in and what should not go in, and that vaccines are an abomination to the word of God and to your body. You know, you've got a few places that'll do it, but not a whole lot of them. And the fact that we are consuming all of these GMO foods, these foods that are filled with glyphosates that are ruining our health, that's causing cancers within us, that's causing this obesity epidemic and everything else that we have going on. There was a black scientist who did a study And I can't remember his name right now. I'd have to look him up. But he did a study on uh, frogs with polysorbate 80, which is in vaccines along with those aborted fetal cell lines. And what he found every time was that it had the ability to turn a male frog, have a male frog desire a male frog instead of a female frog, and a female frog to desire a female frog instead of a male. So we've got a lot going on in the community that no one is talking about. And the church has actually, they've gotten so far off into the other side and where we're going 
until they haven't said enough about how to live here and how we get to live here, how we're supposed to live here, and who's going to help us do that. Mm, yeah, you. I, I would agree with that. One of the things I wanted to talk about is you said that these vaccinations for, let's say you are vaccinated at an early age and you're now in your 20s or 40s. Do these things have long-term effects on us? Because I remember you mentioning early in the interview just saying uh, that obesity might be one of the causes from these uh, vaccinations mm -hmm. as well. And one thing I know when I look at obesity from a statistical standpoint, I'm always seeing the African-American women are the highest, have the right. highest obesity rate than our men. And then you also see other things that are coming behind that stroke, cancer, high mm -hmm. blood pressure. Do these things have a long reaching effects just because we were vaccinated at one years old or even before it, that? It's, it's from generation to generation. It's an imprint in the DNA. Your mother was vaccinated. She, that imprint carries on to you and on and on and on. And then, you know, it's epigenetics. You get hit again with vaccines and the further down the, the, the cycle of your life goes and your health goes. You know, we have, no one ever looks into what actually is going on in our community. You see these black basketball, football players, all of a sudden they're running down the court, bam, they drop dead. No one has investigated why. No one has looked to see why that's happening. There's heart damage from vaccines. And a lot of these things are so hidden, you can't even see them. What happens to these kids? And then they say, a healthy person. How, how does a healthy 20 something year old just drop dead running down a court doing something they were meant to do? Also, now you have all of these autoimmune diseases that go un, unchecked. You have celiac disease, very prevalent. Crohn's disease, very prevalent in the African American community that's not even diagnosed because our wheat has been altered and they, you can't pro, you have this G6PD deficiency on that gene that processes carbohydrates. You can't process them, but no doctor has looked for that gene within you. So you don't even know that you have that gene. You can't process carbohydrates. And there you are with stomach cancer at 29 years of age. You know, you have brain cancer within our, our community. All these young people with brain cancer. Why is that? If they had had chicken pox the normal way, they wouldn't have brain cancer because later on in life, if you have chicken pox the way you're supposed to as a child, it protects the brain from cancer. If you have measles the way you're supposed to have it in life, it will protect you from stomach and pancreatic cancer. And if you have mumps the way you're supposed to have them as a child, it will protect you from ovarian and testicular cancer. And yet we see all of these cancers in our young people. But we, we are a society, I think, of germaphobes because way back when we didn't have all the stuff. We would go out and we would play in mud and do all this stuff as kids. I remember going out in the rain and mm -hmm. playing in the mud and getting a ringworm. And my grandmother would give me something, just a little tincture or something like that. She put a salve on it, right? Yeah. And then it would go away. But now we've become a, a society of germaphobes. Every place you look, you have, you know, antibacterial soap or this or that. And people are so afraid of germs without realizing that that helps kind of build the immune system. So it's, it's, it's just weird that we've become so much, we have so much technology, but yet we have forgotten the basics of really 
getting an infection and allowing the body to kind of fight it off to build that immunity. Well, sadly, the problem is because we have tampered with the immune system starting at birth, we have children with impaired immune systems. Mm -hmm. So when you, you know, asthma comes from vaccines. I didn't grow up with anybody with all this asthma. I never saw eczema growing up. I never saw, we used to call it daydreaming because, you know, we had our childhood infections. I didn't get vaccinated until I joined my husband in the military and I didn't understand it. All of these vaccines, I mean, we, I remember I played in the mud so much and I would spend my summers in the country. We, many of us stepped on rusty nails. We never got tetanus. We, we, our grandmother would pour, if we were saying when our grandmother or our aunt, they would pour peroxide on it and let it air out, bleed mm -hmm. it and let it air out, and bam, we were fine. So what has happened, we have allopathy medicine that is hidden the truth. And we, you know, we call them old remedies. But matter of fact, everybody's running around here afraid of the measles, of these children with the measles who are going to have lifelong immunity now. And yet they're actually giving cancer patients, especially with, uh, uh, colon and pancreatic cancer, the measles virus, not the vaccine, the actual virus, in hopes that it goes in there and eats that cancer up and heals them. It's a known fact. You can read it online. Yeah, I've seen, seen something everywhere. like that. Yeah. I, they've, they've done that with um, HIV as well. I think, uh, what was the guy, Charlie Sheen, he had something done with that. I forget what they call it, but I remember. Im immunotherapy. Yeah. But it's, yeah. uh, it was a doctor that did it for him and got rid of HIV. And he actually went back to the Western medical system and, and, and got it again. So I well, because HIV is a retrovirus. And listen, when they tell you, I never forget, I was living in New York. And I remember, I want to say it was Nigeria, country of Nigeria. It was soon the, the United States government for giving their people AIDS. That was grown on the back of rhesus monkeys. Right here in this country, AIDS did not originate in Africa and it was given through smallpox vaccine. And they tried to throw that case out and they couldn't throw that case out. I don't know whatever happened to the case, but they could not throw that case out because that's what happened. Just in Kenya, two years ago, a Kenyan doctor discovered that their women were being sterilized through vaccines. This is a sinister operation with no liability. And I know for a fact, if someone had came and told me what I'm saying, especially someone who had been through it, who trusted the system, who thought that the government would not hurt their, their, their child, a husband who served 26 years honorably for this country, if someone like that had presented this information to me, I'd have gone down that rabbit hole, researched it, and not a child of mine would have been vaccinated. When I walked out that day, my son's twin did not get that vaccine, nor did his other sister ever get another vaccine. Hmm. I have the perfect storm. She's fine. One of, one of the things that really changed my mind about 
things like that was one, my first hand experience in the pharmaceutical industry and watching my mother pass away. And the other thing was there was a book I read. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it and I wanted to give it to the audience. It's called the plutonium files. And in that book they talk about, and it really, it kind of pissed me off because in the beginning of the book, they talked about how they were giving this elderly African-American gentleman radiation just to see what would happen to it. But, they also, it wasn't just radiation for African-Americans. I found out they were giving it to, you know, poor white people. They even did it with kids. They put uh, plutonium particles or radioactive particles in the kids' oatmeal. So, and, and I think back in the 80s, they were given some type of restitution for this. But the lady's name is Ellen Winesome, I want to say is her name. But the name of the book is called Plutonium Files. I may not be pronouncing no, her her name correct i think you have it right i am but, familiar with that yeah but that was a really good book and it really changed my way of thinking about how i thought about the government for so for those people out there who are really listening to this and you're thinking oh the government wouldn't do that the government wouldn't do this read that book and it will change your mind about how you think about what's going on and what do you think about Hey, does the government have your back? Because it, it just changed my mind and let me know that I have to look out for myself. I have to go and investigate and make my own opinions out of what's being given to me. And there's no reason why people can't do that with the Internet now. But for people who are interested in this, I know you mentioned I'm pretty I'm going to assume, Sheila, that you had to do some type of genet genetic testing. I did. Were you, is there something you recommend for, for people who want to yes. find out about the G6PD, if they yes. have that or not have that? I can tell you exactly how to do it now. See, when I did genetic testing for my son and myself, it was the genome test years ago, and that test was $40,000, and the doctor fought for the insurance to pay for it. However, you don't have to spend that kind of money now. 23andMe, and I know people say, well, the government's going to have the information. They already have it. If you ever went, if you've ever had blood work at LabCorp, a quest, they have your information. So don't be afraid to do 23andMe. You can even do Ancestry. And what what happens is what they don't tell you with both of those, $59 with 23andMe, once you do that swab test, when they come back and tell you all of this beautiful information, underneath that information is your raw data. You can request your raw data. And there are places that you can send it for interpretation so that you know. Download your raw data and you will see page after page after page after page of every possible uh, SNP panel, which is your gene impression on there. And it will let you know what you have and what you don't have. What will you recommend for the community when it comes to working with doctors? I think I heard you mention this earlier in the podcast where you were saying that, you know, you want to partner with your doctor. You don't want to just lay down and just take whatever, whatever that doctor says, he or she says. And I see a lot of that. I saw a lot of that in my career as a pharmaceutical representative where I would just observe examinations. And for the most part, I saw a lot of people who never questioned anything that their doctor gave them or that their doctor said. And I think that that needs to be, um, you know, addressed as well as to, you know, challenge your doctor and see if they're going to partner with you in, in, in doing some things. Well, it's your body. Mm -hmm. And I 
I'm a constitutionalist too. And this country must abide by the constitution. Without the sovereignty of your body, you have no liberty. And remember this, when you walk into a doctor's office, that is a person who holds a very expensive piece of parchment paper. And they have been taught allopathic medicine. There are a lot of good doctors out here, so don't get me wrong. But if a doctor is not willing to partner with you and sat down with you more than five minutes to listen to what's going on with you, to give you the opportunity to ask questions, to research what that doctor is saying, because you have that right, walk out. Mm -hmm. Walk out. Because your life, you don't, your life is in God's hands, not man's hands. When you, when you leave it up to man, mistakes happen. Man or woman. Mistakes happen. So you, you need to go through this thoroughly with your doctor to make sure that they have all of the facts about who you are, what's going on. And if they can get to the bottom of what's going on without first prescribing a pill with a bunch of side effects. Because a lot of things can be, can really be addressed without doing that. But they need to know who you are. Health is not a cookie cutter approach and it cannot be, um, addressed in that way. You're an individual when you walk in there. Yeah. I, th I think that, uh, a lot of people don't realize that. And I mean, even from, a doctor standpoint and think doctors sometimes just treat everybody the same. So, yeah, they do. And I, I, I will say this, what I've learned in these past 19 years, that there's so much that's out here natural that you can do. The first thing I would suggest for anyone, clean up your diet, mm -hmm. clean up your diet. Because if you, if you can go to any fast food restaurant and pay $3 for a complete meal, $5 for a meal, you're eating plastic. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Food is medicine. And I, I mean, that's the thing. I, I witnessed that. I went to a low carb conference a couple of weeks ago. And I can't tell you how many studies these doctors put up there and all they did, these people had diabetes, they had a fatty liver, uh, high blood pressure. And all this one doctor did, he said, he, I said, I just worked with them on cleaning up their diet and now they're off all their medications. So food is, food is a powerful thing. It really is. Food is key. Yeah. And, um, if you ever, I've traveled extensively and when you go to other countries, We've gotten away from the art. And this is something that black families had, um, you know, what we call soul food. Mm -hmm. That's not food that comes from Africa. That's what we had to create. But there are some good aspects to those greens. It depends on how you cook them. And if you're going to eat meat, you got to make sure that's grass-fed meat that you're eating. And we've got to get back to the art of eating. You've got families now that don't even sit down to dinner. Nobody's cooking. They go pick up something, fast food, everybody's eating in front of a TV or a child's eating in this room, parents eating in an office or a room somewhere, and they're, they're not congregating together to enjoy that meal and talk about the day or prepare that meal together. Mm. We've got to go back to that. Yeah. 
Sheila, I'm going to get you off here. Okay. <laughs> I know we could talk, talk to you, and I promise you I would only keep you under, uh, under an hour or hour or so. But um, if people want to get in contact with you, is there a way to get in contact with you? Yes, anybody can reach me. I have a public page on Facebook, Sheila Lewis Ely. Um, if you send me a message, I'll respond. And I have a private page, Sheila L. Ely. If you send me a message, I will respond. Sheila, thank you so much for being on Perfectly Healthy Talk. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.